Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm the other host, Charles Sheeland. And today we are diving into our next series on the podcast, His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. I'm really, really excited to be rereading this series because I love it. And we've never read anything like this on the podcast yet. So it's going to be different and fun. And we're already halfway done with the first book, The Golden Compass. Yeah, and it's nice to be the newbie for a while. And so for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends and we're reading and rereading young adult literature from our childhood and adolescence and sharing these books with each other. We just started a new series that Charles has read a couple of times. So once again, he is subjecting me to some kind of over-complex horror books, in my opinion. Okay, well, it's not horror at all, but I will admit that it's maybe a little more complicated than the very nice narrative linear line and simplicity of Forks, Washington. But Asia, since you are the newbie, you know what this means. You're on summary duty for a while. Yeah, I can do six or so weeks of summary duty only because I know you're going to have to do it again afterward. But jumping right into the summary, we meet Lyra Balakwa, who is a preteen living at Jordan College in Oxford, England, and she's a rebellious little child. And also in this world, all humans have what they call a demon that lives outside of their body. And this is basically their soul living as a talking, breathing animal. Very weird, I know. But Lyra and her demon, whose name is Pan, are living at Jordan College. And, but they quickly leave to go live with a woman called Mrs. Coulter, who is super duper evil. And... Once Lyra finds this out, she ends up running away with some friends and who are called the Egyptians, and they start on an expedition north to go find a bunch of children who have been disappearing. And meanwhile, Lyra is learning about her parentage, the north, the church, and she's hearing something or hearing about something called dust. And that's pretty much it. I know it's kind of an incomplete summary, but there is a lot going on in this book. And I should also mention that Lee Scoresby, who is the aeronaut, and Yorick Bernison, more complicated names, we're back to this, who is, I'm not even going to try to pronounce whatever that says, but basically he, Yorick, is a giant polar bear that has armor that represents his soul, and they, like, are killer animals that, like, no one can defeat. But Charles told me to mention those because they are important characters for the whole story. You did a good job with them. Yeah, Yorick Bjornesson, you pronounced that one well. And the armored bears are called Panzerbjörne, but you can just call them armored bears if you want. But Leah and Yorick are going to be characters throughout all three books, so or they're at least going to be important throughout the rest of the series. So... I just wanted those to get mentioned early on. And yeah, you I think you did a good job covering like the general plot points of this of the the reading. You know, if you listen to the pod, you know, just to hear us, we'd love that. Thank you. But we totally do recommend if you do like to read this sort of stuff, actually reading this book because there's a lot going on that we just poss- can't possibly cover. But Asia, why don't you give us your first impression of the reading? 
So my impression is basically just that I do think it's interesting that Charles's book so far are just much darker and scarier, especially like even if not necessarily scary, but just really dark themes like the premise or the first conflict of this book is basically that kids are disappearing like being kidnapped and the hero or the main character of the story is a child who is going on an expedition to go to save these children and also like lyra is perfectly fine with like inspecting a decapitated head and touching a dead child's body which we'll get into like it's just very interesting themes like it just it just seems like a lot for a kid to go through and so quickly. So, yeah. And then also, I mean, I just have a lot of questions about the demons, which we can talk about a little bit later. But that's basically my first impression. Very dark. Yeah, I obviously don't think of the series as dark at all. I mean, there are dark. there's dark themes, huh? And dark materials. Ha, 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 ha. But... I guess, yeah. I... They're dark. They're called the dark materials for, like, their use in evil. But... They, and they're actually a quote from, I believe, Paradise Lost. But, yeah, I can sort of give a little bit of context as we go through it, of course. I don't think of them as dark, but I understand where you're coming from. I personally didn't really have an impression of it. I kind of feel the way you felt about Twilight, because I know everything in this series. Like I said, I read them earlier, I reread the books earlier on in the pandemic. So they're not fresh, but they're relatively recent, and... I just want to keep reading. Like, I love this story. I'm very excited to get into The Subtle Knife and The Amber Spyglass as well. So, of course, we'll, you know, enjoy The Golden Compass, but I'm really excited to keep going. And like like you did with Twilight, I don't have a lot of notes. I'll mostly be responding to yours. But, of course, I'm always happy to answer any questions, so let's just dive in. Well, the first thing I think I wrote down was something about a stupid man. Basically because the first scene of the book is Lyra and Pan are going to sneak into, I think it's the retiring room where like all the old men like go after dinner, I guess, because she wants to hear what Lord um, Azrael, which we learn is her uncle, which later on we actually learn it's actually her father, but she thinks it's her uncle. He's come to like present his findings from his expeditions and she wants to know what he found. But while she's hiding in the wardrobe she sees the master at jordan college which was where she's staying he poisons the like wine or drink set uh, meant for lord asriel to drink and when asriel comes in lyra reveals herself that she's been hiding to tell him like you can't drink it like it's poisoned and he just was not very grateful at all like lyra literally just saved his life and he's just like you stupid child like you're not supposed to be in here and i was just ooh, stupid men (laughs) yeah we love flagging stupid men on this podcast especially because he's stupid to his daughter and like he knows that's his daughter and he's so rude to her and she did just save his life but whatever yeah asriel Obviously, you're going to have him throughout all three books, and he's a he's a complex character, mostly kind of rude. But anyway, that's me getting ahead of myself. I noticed something in, while they're in the room. The scholars smoke poppy in butter, which I never realized as a child, but they're just, you know, I as a child, I would have glossed over that. But when they're talking about it, I'm like, they're fully, like, inhaling opium. Like, they're not, like, you know, 
consuming it through it, what we would consider a traditional method now. They're putting poppy seeds into butter and then they're like kind of like cooking it like incense. But they're like, it's helping clear our thoughts. And I'm like, no, you're just getting high. But anyway, something I never noticed as a child. And something I also didn't notice that I read, I've, you know, read these books a couple times, but I didn't realize that we get the Betrayer prophecy really early. So we have the scene afterwards with the Jordan master and I believe the librarian, they're chatting. And the master's like, Lyra is going to be a betrayer. She has to betray someone and we don't, she can't know what it is. But the master tells us super early and I always forget that that prophecy is, prophecy or like warning at least is like, we're getting that before Lyra even leaves Oxford. And also another thing I noticed during this reading, I've just got a bunch at the beginning, is they're describing the distance, or Pullman is describing the distance, or the area over which children are being captured. And Pullman says that they're being captured all the way down to Mortlake, where the magician Dr. D lived. And I was like, British history, Dr. John D. And it's the, I double-checked it a little bit, background checking. It's the Dr. D in the book, like, they're just mentioning the location, Mortlake, which is where Dr. D lived, but it's Dr. D from The Alchemist. It's the same one. So I just thought I would mention that because he was, like I said, he's a historical figure in British history. So it was just funny that that was actually mentioned in the next series that we read. Well, Never I, noticed that before. Well, I completely missed that, so. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, I noticed it for the first time, and this is probably my sixth or seventh time reading this book, so. Okay, so maybe let's get back to, to the story. Back. Yeah, you don't need to feel badly at all. So back to the story, we also start to hear about the so-called gobblers, who are this group that is supposedly kidnapping, taking children away from their families, and they seem to be taking quite a few, like lots of children have gone missing. And when Lyra gets to London, which is when she goes with Mrs. Coulter, the evil woman, everyone kind of just seems like okay with it. Like they're not really worried about kids just disappearing which is obviously odd. And also knowing that they're assuming that once the kids are taken, that they're experimenting on them in some way, but like they just don't seem bothered by it at all. Yeah, let me give a little bit of world building context here. We kind of got it, but it was sort of spread out over a couple different scenes. So basically in this world, there's a entity called the Magisterium, which is the church. But anytime you read Magisterium, it means church. And basically the church in this universe believes that there is a physical world where we're living, or in this case where Lyra's living, and then there's heaven and hell, and there's nothing else. And Lord Asriel believes that there are other worlds, you know, the city in the sky that he sees through the Aurora Borealis, and the witches, we know the witches, Dr. Lancelia says that the witches know there are other worlds, but the church does not believe in it, and saying that there are other worlds is heresy. So... Mrs. Coulter, she works for the church through what is called the General Ovation Board, a.k.a. the Gobblers, and they're the ones who are operating this facility at Bolvanger, which is where they are sending the kids. So this series, there's going to be a, an essential conflict between the church and Lord Asriel, and the church, what you need to know is they believe in just one world, and that Mrs. Coulter does work for the church, and the church is sort of condoning these experiments on the children. Does that make sense? I just want to, like, because that's going to be important through the whole series. Yeah, but I just was thinking, like, don't you think it's, like, interesting that they don't believe 
in other worlds, but they can believe in their weird demon soul people and they have witches. Like I, it's just a very interesting concept, but I guess. Yeah. I think it's a matter of perspective because if you grew up in a world where there were real witches the whole time, you wouldn't think that they were, you wouldn't think that they were special. Like if you grew up in a world where there were demons the whole time, you wouldn't think that like a talking Pansobjörn was that big of a departure. But I guess I'm just like if there's one element of magic, like why would you be so against like there being other elements of like magic or science or whatever? Well, that's I guess going to be quite the, the essential conflict. Yeah. You've got you. <laughs> Asia has already figured out one of the major themes of this series. We've got five more weeks to cover it, but Asia has already sort of started dealing with the issue at hand. And you brought up demons. Let me give a little bit of context because I know you said that you had some questions about them. So let me clarify a little bit. So we find out in this reading, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but also giving you like a recap of the demons. So demons are your soul. They're an animal that lives outside of your body. And when you're a child, they can change forms based on what you want them or need them to do. But when you become an adult, they settle into a permanent form that they stay as forever. And because the, the demon is your soul, like inflicting pain on the demon also inflicts pain on the human. But they are not, it's not like you kill the demon that kills the person. Though we don't have any instances of that throughout the whole series. So I don't really know whether Philip Pullman has like fleshed that out. But the don't think of the demon as an animal that's attached to the human. Think of the demon as part of the human. And... Like, the demons and the humans, like, for example, they are part of one person, so you can't, like, a demon can't get too far away from the human that it belongs to. Like, there's only, like, a couple feet that they can stay apart, except witches, who can travel much further distances away from their demons. Most demons are of the opposite sex of the human, which has gotten a little bit of criticism for the series for sort of suggesting that there's a male and a female element in each person, or at least an aspect of your person that could be the opposite sex of your biological sex, but we're not going to get too far into gender theory right now. And I'm trying to think what else we've learned. Oh, you cannot touch the demon of another human. You can, demons can touch each other and humans can touch each other and you can touch your own demon, but you never touch someone else's demon. It's a big taboo. It's like touching someone else's soul. Like you wouldn't do that. I know that was a lot of info dump. Do you have any questions about that, Asia? Yeah, I, I definitely noted about the sexes thing because I did think that was interesting because mm-hmm. they noted like there was one person who they said like it was a rare case that like I think it might have been a guy like his demon was the same sex as him. And I was like, so they're normally the opposite sex like that just seems like an interesting concept. Yeah, of like why. Yeah, but obviously we don't. Yeah, so this, the series, you'll see a little later on, has some, like, relatively progressive views on sexuality and sort of sexual identity. Like, you will meet what is effectively a same-sex couple. Or, like, in, I believe, in the next book. It's either the next book or the final book. And this basically says, I mean, obviously, like, Lyra, she's straight. She's a woman. She's interested in men. But... I mean, she's a child right now, so she's not thinking about that. But the the demons having like a, I only say that because it's going to figure into the rest of the series, but the demons having the opposite sex, like 
Okay, maybe I should just say this right now. So this series is, it's going to be a little critical of organized religion. Like, that's just a, it's a fact. I had friends who weren't allowed to read it growing up because it was considered so anti-religious. I personally don't think it's that anti-religious having read it. I understand the criticisms of organized religion in it, but it's more criticism of just organized mob mentality generally because it's like the church is trying to do what they think is right for everyone, but because they get a little carried away, they end up doing these experiments on children. And so the criticism of this, of the quote unquote church in the series is much more about like criticizing mob mentality and sort of like a lack of self-reflection. But the series does get a little critical of the church and the same people who thought that it was too critical of the church also took offense to the fact that, you know, each person might have, like, a part of their soul that is the opposite sex. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, I definitely see the criticism of the church. And also, yeah, like, just, I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit. But, but let's get back to the story. So Lyra has the altheometer. Is that how you say it? Alethiometer, but yes. Alethiometer, which it's basically like a symbol reader, or I'm assuming this is the Golden Compass, the name of the book. It's never called the Golden Compass in the series, but yes, that is what it is. Well, that's what I'm going to call it. So the Golden Compass, <laughs> which it basically like tells the truth and kind of like Lyra is able to read it, basically, and the master of Jordan College gives it to her and tells her to keep it away from Mrs. Coulter and her evil monkey demon. And she run, this is when she runs away with it. And when she runs away, I just had to write down because, like, Lyra is kind of seems like she's a pretty funny, like, character. Like, she definitely has quite a few funny moments. And when she runs away, she, like, is hungry and, like, goes to, like, a cafe or something. And this man buys her, like, a pastry or something. And it was like that, like a creepy man talking to a child and he's like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm waiting for my father. He's a murderer. He's going to kill people right now. And it was just so funny and random, like very clever because like to get him away from her. But I just thought it was super funny. But again, it also proves my point that Charles really likes these horror books because like it's just very like scary, like. I don't know. Lyra's about to get... It just seems like she's going about to go through a lot. And she's, like, supposed to be, what, like, 10 or 11? Yeah, 10 or 11. She's she's going to go through a lot. I don't think it's horror, but I do... Under, I, I take your point that reading this for the first time, it would be scary. And, yeah, Lyra's sort of, like, cheeky lying is going to go throughout... I mean, even when she and Yorick go find the child and they go find Tony and the people are like, what are you doing? Do you have weapons? She's like, no. But, like, right behind the hill, we have a bunch of guns and we're ready to kill you. And they're like oh, please don't kill us. Go take the child. Like, she just, like, fully lies, and she's a really good liar. But I will admit that there are some scary moments, especially around the golden monkey. Yeah. And then while we're getting all this, like, world-building stuff, we this is we do find out that Lord Azrael is actually Lyra's father, and Mrs. Coulter is her mother. And basically, Azrael and Mrs. Coulter, we don't know her first name yet, they fell in love, basically, but she was already married. They had an affair. She gets pregnant, has Lyra, and basically Mr. Coulter, Mrs. Coulter's husband, finds out about this, and so he, like, is in a rage and, like, tries to go and kill 
the baby, Lyra, who's being taken care of by Egyptian woman, which we find out is Ma Costa, which is the Egyptian she's with now. And basically, Azriel kills Mr. Coulter, Mrs. Coulter's husband, like we said, because he was going to literally go and murder a baby. So he got what was coming to him. Definitely. And so he saves Lyra and Ma Costa. And this kind of just explains like why Azrael is constantly checking on her because it's actually his daughter, not his niece. And but basically like they took away all his like he was like a lord, had all these things like they took away all his riches, whatever, as like punishment because like they had an affair, I guess. And he like obviously committed murder. So they agree that they he puts Lyra like at the Jordan College, basically like pretending she's an orphan and she's just like raised by all the scholars. But we find out that Mrs. Coulter, like she comes to get her and she wants her for some reason. But luckily, Lyra ends up with the Egyptians for now and she seems to be really happy with them and they seem happy to have her. Yeah, like we get that really good chapter where she's talking to John Fa or Lord Fa and he's sort of like clarifying her history, which is it's nice. And it, I mean, it does explain like why Mrs. Coulter would want to take on a random 12 year old child. Like, because it's actually her daughter. And she's just been waiting until Lord Azriel was out of the picture because he's been imprisoned by the bears on Svalbard. Like, that's why she's able to swoop in and basically take Lyra because she knew that Azriel would not allow it otherwise. And, yeah, so as you mentioned, Lyra escapes London. She's with the Egyptians. And they are starting an expedition north to save the children. And, yeah, like you mentioned, the golden compass, the alethiometer. I'm going to call it that because that's what it is. But, yeah. It's really difficult to use, but Lyra learns to read it super, super quickly. Like, in a matter of weeks, she can kind of drop into her subconscious and read it. And she's, like, already an expert. Like, she can, I mean, already by the time she goes to find Tony, she can read the compass perfectly. I mean, even by the time they go meet the witch console, she can read it perfectly. And she can divine all sorts of secrets it's telling her. Do you have any questions about the compass, Asia? Um, I don't think I have any questions. I just wanted to point out the reason why I pronounced it wrong is because Charles misspelled it in the script. That's why I pronounced it wrong. I just looked. (laughs) Okay. I know I misspelled it, but, you know, I couldn't be bothered to type out alethiometer. That's a lot of work. Alethiometer. Oh, I can call it now, now that I know how it's correctly spelled. (laughs) Alethiometer. Okay. But I don't think I have any questions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dear listener. Okay. I don't have any well, questions about that. It seems like she's just learning it on her own because, again, this she's clearly like the chosen one. But she is the chosen one. Then back to the plot, the expedition gets to Trollisund, which basically they're going to continue the trip on land now. So it sounded to me like they're getting on basically like big sleds or something to move through the snow, I guess. But before they leave, they meet, they want to meet with the witch council and the aeronaut and the armored bear. Yeah. And you just mentioned Lyra is the chosen one. And yeah, so the witches find out that there's a prophecy that Lyra has a role to play in order to save the world. And she has to do this in a different world than the one she's in. And she can't know what her role is, but she's going to have to fill her role. And just in case you were confused, This is not the same as the Betrayer prophecy. The Betrayer is not actually a prophecy. It's something that the Master of Jordan College figured out from the Lithiometer, and it's a separate thing. 
this witch's prophecy is a much more serious sort of grand scheme thing that Lyra is going to have a role to play. And we're going to find out more about that throughout the rest of the series. But you, like you said, Lyra is the chosen one. So she's very important and they're not going to call her the chosen one, but she does have a, she's important and the witches know it too. And because of her connection with the symbol reader, she's actually able to start a connection with Yorick, who's the armored bear. She helps get him freed and, you can already tell that he really likes her. Like he's willing to go take her on this expedition and he's already defending her. Like he feels very protective of this little girl for helping him get his armor back. Yeah. And then they're on their trip up North and the symbol reader is telling Lyra to go find like a lost child or ghost almost. And so her and York decide they ask for permission. They go to this small town, And when she gets there, Lyra finds a severed child with no demon. So it's just a kid, and he doesn't have his demon soul thing with him. And I know that that's clearly significant for this world because Lyra, like, the whole town is, like, repulsed by this little boy with no demon. Like, they are deeply disturbed by it. But I did have to point out, because there's another funny part here, where basically the little boy is, like, holding on to, like, a piece of, like, frozen fish because he misses his demon, which is, like, really sad. And so, like, when Lyra's like, come on, we're going to keep you safe. We'll, like, take you back to our camp or whatever. The kid comes out with his fish, and, like, there's another man there from the town who, like, gave her the lantern and stuff. And he's like, you're going to have to pay for that fish. And Lyra, her thought is, because she's with the polar bear, she's like, she really wanted to tell the polar bear to kill the man. (laughs) It was just funny and then but she actually is like we're taking away this boy that you guys are all afraid of that's payment enough what i just thought it was so funny because like what a savage like she was ready to just strike that man down lyra is a savage like you'll get even more of lyra's savagery in the next section because she like condones a lot of people to death i mean people who deserve it but like lyra takes no prisoners and like she's i mean (laughs) Basically, like she, like I said, like I was saying, she's was she when she's hiding in the retiring room. That's when they, Asriel shows the decapitated head, and like she wants a closer look, but like she can't. I'm like, who wants to look at a decapitated head? And yeah, like, I would not want to. Unfortunately, the little boy. Once they take him back to the camp, he does end up dying because, like, they say, like usually the kids don't survive very long without their demon. Because, like we said, it's kind of like it's their soul. So, like, how do you survive without your soul? So he ends up dying, and one of the other, like, men on the trip took away the frozen fish to, like, cook or something, I guess. And she's, like, demanding. She's, like, who took away? This is all that kid had. Like, she's just, like, really, like, mature. And, like like I said, she's only supposed to be, like, 10 or 11. And she's, like, really, she seems, like, smarter than these adults. She's very righteous. She's, but she's also very smart. And she's very passionate. Which could be, like, the innocence of a child. Like, you have a more, like, pure moral compass as opposed to, like, as you grow older, like, your morality could get skewed, you know, because you become more selfish, whatever. So I did – I like that. Like, she is, like, a very – she's definitely a a likable character for me so far. Yeah. I I do like Lyra, and she's going to grow throughout the series, which you will see – But bare bones, that's actually kind of everything that happens. I know we skipped over a bunch of stuff, like a lot of the stuff with Egyptians and the spy fly and a bunch of other stuff. But 
you know, again, we can't get bogged down in too, too many details because there was a lot that happened in those nine chapters, or 13 chapters, I should say. But do you have any other questions I can answer for you before we go into the next reading? The only question I had at the end was, so there's a scene which Charles had kind of told me about this. There's like these little like robot kind of like spy bugs or beetles that like fly. And mm-hmm. in when they're on the boat, like I think a couple of them, like two of them come to like attack Lyra because obviously after Lyra runs away from Mrs. Coulter, she has all her people like out looking for her because I don't, I don't really understand why they need her slash want her, but maybe because they know like she's part of the prophecy and she could change what they're doing, I guess. But they're looking for they her. They want her because Mrs. Coulter wants her and because Mrs. Coulter knows she has an alethiometer and the church wants her alethiometer and Mrs. Coulter wants her because she's her daughter. Okay. And they think that Lyra is going to help Azriel, and obviously the church is against Azriel. So they're worried that as Lyra leaves, she's going to find out that Azriel's her dad. And so they're trying to get her back, basically, because they just don't want her alethiometer and her as a person to help Azriel. Yes. So anyway, so basically these, like, two robot spy bug things, they fly while they're on the boat, because, like, Lyra's been, like, hiding below deck, but... They're, like, in the middle of the ocean, so they're like, oh, you can come out for a little bit. And her demon pan is, like, flying around as, like, a seagull or something. And the the bugs come and, like, attack him. And one of the other, like, sailors or whatever's demon comes and helps pan. And they end up catching one of the bugs. And so they put it in, like, first put it in a cup, they put it in a glass jar, then they have it, like, in a tin, basically. Because they're, like, I guess once it has its, like, sight set on something, like, it won't stop. And, like, I, I don't know why they don't destroy it, or maybe it's, or I think they kind of say it's really hard to destroy. Is that what they say? Yeah, they say it's, like, you could probably only destroy it with, like, lava. So they're just trying to hold on to it so it doesn't attack Lyra again. And they also don't want it because, obviously, the other one that they didn't get, they the bug saw Lyra so it can tell, go back to Mrs. Coulter and the gobblers or whatever to tell them where Lyra is. That's why they don't want to just let it go. But... Is his name Fodder? What, what's his name again? The old guy? Fodder Corum. Him. He like locks it up or whatever and like puts it in some special box basically and he's like, I'll take care of it. I'll hold on to it. And like when he's doing something else, Lyra goes in and takes it from him and like make has the polar bear, Yorick, like make a fake box that looks like the same and she switches it out is kind of what it sounds like. And then she mm-hmm. puts it so that she can hold it with the. I already forgot how to say Alethiometer. it. Alethiometer. with that. So I just was like, why? I was just curious, like, why did she want to have the little bug? Like, why does she want to have it on her? I don't know if she specifically wants the little bug, but she wants a decoy that looks like the alethiometer because it's the same. The new tin that it's in is as heavy and the same shape and size as the alethiometer. So she, I, again, You'll see it'll come up really quickly in the next okay. section. Well, she and it gets could the just decoy. be that it was for plot convenience. She makes an empty tin for far decorum, so he doesn't know yeah. that it's gone. But that like is not that important in the grand scheme of things. But the reason she wants the tin to be the same size as the lithiometer is that she's carrying two things around that look the same or feel the same at least. So and she's oh, doing that okay. so that she could like if she's like trying to hide the lithiometer. She could, like, carry that one in her pouch where people would expect it. Again, it's never explained that well. 
I can because the spy fly will get payoff. Like what you just brought up, you'll get payoff of that in like three chapters right away. But when I read it this time, I was thinking about this because I was like, I wonder why Lyra takes it. And I'm like, it's probably because she just wants to have two like circular heavy metal disc things so that if she's hiding one of them and someone like they're like, you know, I don't know, they feel her bag and like, I don't know if a pickpocket was like, oh, that feels like it's it. Like if someone knows that they're trying to take that from her, she basically has a decoy. I don't know why it has to be the bug. That's not really ever explained, but there will be a really good payoff scene for it in the next section. Okay. Okay. That makes sense then. That I was just curious as to, yeah, why she specifically took the one with the bug in it, but. There's going to be a really dramatic, visually dramatic scene. So you're going to get the, you're going to get a reward for it, even though we never get Lyra being like, so the reason I took the bug was for this reason. Like we're never going to get that. Well, yeah. Well, then I can't wait to keep reading then. So yeah, those yeah. answers. So before we wrap up, what do you think your demon or my demon would settle as? I want to say what we're going to say now after one reading, and I want to see if you, like, what you would say at the end. Oh, goodness. I have no idea. I, I've been trying to think about this. Well, I'm only going to try Or you to could say what mine is going to be, and I could say what yours would be. Well, I mean, I think yours would definitely be, like, a cat. Like, it would be Claudia, your cat right now. Claudia it would Jean. not be my daughter, Claudia Jean, um, I, though she is sleeping right now and she's an angel. I think mine would be a snow leopard. Mostly I've always thought that because Asriel has a snow leopard. But I know that it would be a bigger cat. I'm not going to have a house cat. But I do think it would be a bigger cat, but I think it would be like cold themed. So it would be either like a snow tiger or a snow leopard. Do people have the same... You could have the same like animal as someone else, right? Because it doesn't really matter. It's still particular to you. I mean, just to throw some classism in there, as they said, all servants have dog. Oh, yeah, that's why I'm like, mine definitely can't be a dog because I don't want to be a servant. (laughs) I mean, I think it has to do with more, like, personality of, like, service. Like, a dog is a a loyal sort of, like, that's what a dog does. So, but it is a little, like, mm, did the demon settle as a dog because you were fated to be a servant? Or did you become a servant because your dog your demon was a dog and you were like personality wise, you were like, I must serve. It's, there's a little gray area there, but I think mine would be a snow leopard. That's what I say. So I'm going to say that Charles would be a snow leopard. I'm keeping track of this so that when we finish the Amber spyglass, when we guess again, we can see if we changed our minds. What do you think mine would be? For Asia. I think yours would be an armadillo. An armadillo. Why an yes. armadillo? Because they're cute and they're smaller than people expect, but they have a really hard shell that they can use for defense, but also for travel. This is maybe getting a little, like, personal, but, like, you have, like, a very good, like, emotional shield. I don't know. Maybe I'm sounding like Bella Swan right now. But an armadillo can (laughs) use its shield really well. And that you can, like... I was going to... Yeah, I was going to say, like, a hedgehog or something. Like, a smaller animal for sure. Like, something that can, like... protected... They can, like, roll up in a ball. Okay, that's literally an armadillo. An armadillo rolls up into a ball. Like, when you're like, nope, can't deal with people today. (laughs) Okay, we're going to say hedgehog, but... See, we literally actually thought of the same thing. That's Those are super close. Put hedgehog slash armadillo. It's it's a mixture. Yeah. That's actually really funny that we both thought of similar things like that. Because I was like, armadillo, that's kind of out of left field. But you thought of something... Again, they're both roll up into tiny little defensive balls. Yeah. And I've got a note, so we will track it, and we'll see if we say the same things in a couple weeks. 
So I think that does wrap us up, though, because you need to find Wait, out what happens. I have one with more this. question. Oh, yes. Is liar? Oh, do, do we know, like, at what age, like, your demon settles, or is it kind of, like, different for everyone? It's when you hit puberty. So then it's, Lyra, in the series, will her will Pan settle into something? Pan will settle at the very end. Well, can, can I guess what I think he's going to settle in? You can guess. I, I guess I probably I wouldn't know. Has he been in that form yet? So, not that exact form, but something very similar. So you could probably guess, like, an area. Like, I don't think that anyone... I don't think that he ever is the exact form that like gets mentioned in the series. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I don't think he has yet. He's been something very similar. Like it's going to be a form that's like not completely off base for him. But well, because the man forms like I feel like he's taken is obviously the moth, which I hope that it's not going to be. He's not going to settle as a moth. I will tell you that. And then the other one is like some kind of cat kind of. He's right? a pole cat a lot. Like something like that, which I mean, I don't really know anything about cat. A pole cat is sort of like a wildish like Breeds. cat, like a sort of not like a big cat, like a lynx or a tiger, but like bigger than a domestic cat is a pole cat. Well, I know is that's like I feel like the biggest one he's been a lot, like some kind yeah. of cat. He's been one other thing a lot, but I'm not gonna tell you. But he does, he's like been a lion, he's been a badger, he's a pole cat a lot of the time. He's been a seagull a couple times. So he's a dragon at one point. Like, yeah. That was only for like 20 seconds. So we're just going to forget about that. But yeah, I don't, I'm going to keep an eye on it because I don't think they ever mention the exact thing until he becomes it. But he will settle by the end. And I will take a note that Asia suggested the pole cat, which is, he has been a pole cat quite a bit. So that's not a bad guess at all, but I'm trying to give you as much of a poker face as I can right now. Well, also because there's a scene where Lyra is admiring Sophilax, Fardacorum's demon, who's the most beautiful cat she's ever seen. Yeah, she's and she talked because that's when like they explain why like you can't touch another person's demon because she's like the fur just seems like it would be so luscious, but she's like I obviously can't touch touch it. I really wish. Uh, in the TV show, they did not do Sophonax or Sophilax. I always forget what her name is. They did not do her justice. She's not as cute as she needs to be. She's cute, <laughs> but, like, the way she's described, she's described as, like, the most beautiful animal Lyra has ever seen, and no, that was not the cat in the show. Okay. Well, before we get too far off track, let's wrap it up. So we're going to finish The Golden Compass for next week, so if you do read along with us, read until the end. And if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. You'll just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. And I'm at C.E. Sheelan on both Twitter and Instagram. And remember that if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us, share us with all your friends and your network, and check out the other awesome podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe and have a good one. We'll see you next week.
Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.